0: Hello, everyone. Today I'm here with Holly Oliveres, the student leader of Diversify CU and a PhD student in the Environmental Studies program and the Institute of Arctic and Alpine Research in STAR at the University of Colorado Boulder. Today we're gonna be talking a little bit about Diversify CU, which serves to amplify BIPOC uh, voices on campus, BIPOC being black, indigenous, and people of color, and just a little bit about what it's like operating right now on the CU Boulder campus. Uh, so Holly, thank you for talking to us today.
1: Sure, thank you for having me. All right,
0: so this group of course was started back in June of 2020 by 10 graduate students following the release of, their, of the petition to diversify CU Boulder. Um, so in your experience uh, being a part of this group, um, how has this group grown over the past few months since you originally started?
1: Sure. Well, I I want to clarify two things. It's um, we call ourselves Diversify CU now, uh, so that there's action in the name. And um, we are we originally were nine graduate students and one postdoc.
0: <laughs> ah, gotcha. Thank <laughs> I you for the clarification you for
1: that credit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. We so we had some data, and that was that CU Boulder falls in last place in the Pac-12 in terms of racial diversity. And so we had the idea of putting together a petition. So at that time, we didn't have a group name um, or really an identity as a group, um, but more just concerned students and postdoc that felt like we have this data, we should get it out there. So we wrote a petition uh, within several days. And we also knew that it was just a petition, uh, but we thought a petition is a good place to start to get the word out there to other students and other folks at CU Boulder that something is happening. Because by this point, uh, the petition came out June 23rd. So we were at almost a month after George Floyd's murder and really hadn't seen any concrete action other than website statements uh, and maybe some listening sessions that had started. So um, the day that the petition was released, we opened up three social media accounts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook so that we could promote the petition. And very quickly um, it was distributed and we've got just under 3,000 signatures now. Um, So within a couple of weeks, we realized that this isn't just a problem at the Boulder campus, this is a problem on all of CU's campuses. And so we quickly changed our name from Diversify CU Boulder Now to Diversify CU Now. We wanted to be inclusive of the other campuses that in some ways deal with racism in a much more blatant way than we do at the Boulder campus. So we wanted to be mindful of them. Um, So within a couple of weeks of the petition coming out, we had that same group of 10 and I think there were maybe, actually it grew, I wanna say 20 or 22 people on an email chain that got quite messy very quickly. And so decided to open up a Slack account for us and that's how we operate now. So we basically set up a channel uh a, ch- a channel for every action or an action for every channel on slack and um so we have the petition we have our social media accounts we now have a, a website um we started writing op-eds we've had four that have been published in the daily camera and a letter to an editor and each of those focuses on different aspects of racism at cu um, but but in a different context um and so we we'll, we are continuing to write op-eds and we'll continue to do so as a way for students to find and use their own voice to say that they see that racism is a problem at CU. And a big part of what I see has changed, well, there's a couple of things, Um, since June or mid-June, was that our BIPOC community members were not openly talking about racism at CU. And specifically, I'm at the Boulder campus, so at CU Boulder, I wasn't seeing it or hearing hearing it. And to me, that's more concerning than anything, because it tells me that those of us that have experienced racism at CU Boulder don't feel safe to be talking about it. Uh, There's fear of retaliation or fear of maybe being confrontational or aggressive or whatever you wanna name it, but it just wasn't happening. And so I think in one way, Diversify has helped to create a space for our BIPOC community to know that we we are organizing and that we have an organized group of people that are going to be there for them and that we care that they're here and we care to hear their stories and that if they do face uh, retaliation or any sort of aggression or racism towards them, that we're going to be there for them and we're going to provide our support and we're going to call out if we need to call out, etc. And so I feel like there has been some progress made there, but I think there's a lot more work to do in that arena. And the other thing that I've seen change quite a bit is that in Diversify CU now um, forming and growing and organizing, our students who are not BIPOC students are engaging with not only one another in striving to be active anti racists at CU, but they're also engaging with BIPOC students. And that's the goal, right? That's the point of the Black Lives Matter movement is that we are engaging with our BIPOC, our Black and BIPOC community members where we live and where we work. And so I'm a graduate student. I consider my job or my work is at CU Boulder. And so I think where I work is where it matters that I I devote my time and my energy into finding BIPOC community members and telling them, I know you're here, I care about you, and I want to be here for you. And I'm going to find ways to show you that I care about you. Um, And so that's really the, the the driving narrative behind Diversify CU now. Um, is for our BIPOC community. And our second mission, which we have on our homepage, is to apply pressure on campus leaders and CU leaders to do the same thing. And so we will continue to do that. We have various methods um, and actions that we've taken to do that and we'll continue to do that.
0: You mentioned the op-eds that have been written about racism on the CU campus in different contexts. Um, I believe it was. What, um, what have those op-eds been like? Um, kind of, uh, what, has been, what has it been like kind of like creating and writing those op-eds? Uh, what's, what's that been like for Diversify CU? Yeah,
1: it's, it's been a really interesting process because we've come together as a group to talk about um, different ways that we can find or different ways that we can creatively um, describe what racism looks like at CU Boulder, especially when the authors of the op-eds are not BIPOC students. Um, And so there's been there have been several um, that have focused on whether it be divesting from CUPD um, to if we're spending so much money on a police department that is inclined to be more aggressive or violent with our BIPOC students and and staff and faculty if that doesn't really make any sense and it certainly doesn't make our BIPOC community members feel safe on campus. Um, So that was the, the focus of one. One was on the connection between COVID-19 and racism at CU Boulder. Uh, and that got quite a bit of activity, as, as did the previous one that I mentioned, which was a letter to an editor. Um, and so I think I think not only not only doing the research on the data and the statistics to help write these op-eds, but also engaging in, in conversation with one another about what life must be like for a black person at CU Boulder, um, I think it really It really helps each of us connect to the problem on a much deeper level. It's easy to say we care about our BIPOC community, but it's another thing to really um, sit with it uh, and actually feel motivated to take action and do something different in your own life. uh, And hopefully on a daily basis um, to show that this is something really important to you. And I want to add to an important lesson that I've learned since I have been doing this work here in Boulder since June, is that this isn't about helping anybody. This isn't about helping people. This is about the liberation of all of us and um, Hopefully I can make this connection, but until we have an engaged community that includes and involves and engages with our BIPOC community, we simply don't have an engaged community. And I think many of us, if not most of us, can agree that we're not happy with the system and the way our day-to-day runs in the first place. There's a lot of minutiae, and there's a lot of obligations. There's a lot of formal procedures and jargon that we spend our days doing, and we're not happy doing it. Um, Where when we do the work that that we're doing now to strive to be active anti-racist, we're working towards a goal, and that's the liberation of those that are most impacted by racism. And in doing that work, we connect with each other, we connect with ourselves, and we get back to this really core place of um, connection with other human beings. And the work becomes quite gratifying um, in, in multiple ways. And so we find ourselves doing this work in um, a lighthearted spirit, even though it's very serious work. So it's been a really interesting experience to see. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can continue to grow that across the Boulder campus and across the other CU campuses, because this actually is for the benefit of all of us.
0: You mentioned um, that part of that would be having an, an get fully engaged community. In your eyes, what would that engaged community look like? And how would it be um, significantly different from our current community? Um, Is there anything that's specific that you have in mind?
1: Yeah, it sounds really simple, but um, to have an engaged community, we need to engage with our community that's already here and specifically our BIPOC community that's already here. So I mentioned it a a little while ago, it is a matter of actively seeking out our BIPOC community members and finding a way to let them know that we know that they're here and that we care that they're here. Uh, And I think that's where a lot of people really have gotten complacent which speaks to the lack of engagement that this community has. Because I can't actually say, I, I'm, I'm certainly one student out of what, 33,000 or something at the Boulder campus. So I certainly don't know what everyone's experience is at the Boulder campus. But I can say that there is a, a large disconnection, disconnection and disengaged community of people that are feeling very isolated in their own lives within the, within the university setting. Um, And so I think that that's that's part of the reason why we have have gotten complacent and we haven't been reaching out to our BIPOC community members. But in 2020, between the murder of George Floyd and um, our kind of new vernacular for a lot of us in learning about what is racism, what does it look like in 2020 in the university setting and what is anti-racism in 2020 and in the university setting that we're really in a new kind of mind and heart space where we, we need to be actively seeking out those BIPOC community members and listen. Uh, and that doesn't mean to ask them for anything. It doesn't mean to take anything from them. It means to find ways to to show them that they, they matter, and that they care. And so, I, like I said, it sounds really simple, but it's actually a matter of engaging with our BIPOC community members that are here now. And so for us, uh, Uh, what we have found is um, using social media is a very powerful tool. And those that are on social media that are interested, they love it when they get promotion on events or projects or research or conferences or panels or anything that they're doing in their personal life. They love getting uh, the attention and the amplification because they haven't had it. And so they maybe hopefully won't feel as isolated and alone within the CU community. Hopefully that answers your question.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, And uh, as we've uh, mentioned, Diversify CU Now serves to amplify the voices of BIPOC students, staff, and faculty on campus, as well as uh, BIPOC-led groups. Um, And so far this year, we've seen uh, the CU Scholar Strike uh, statement um, for both yourself and CU Regent Linda Shoemaker that in part brought up concerns with both the new Council for Community and Inclusion and the Community Safety Task Force. And that also included clarifications on what anti-racist action would look like at CU. Um, There was also a press conference with uh, BIPOC community members and, um, of course, we've mentioned the op-eds as well. Um, And I would say that, of course, there's been more beyond just that, Um, but that's just a few examples of what um, has happened so far this semester um, and Mm -hmm. so far this year. So with all of this, what kind of response have you seen to these actions from the wider CU community? We've mentioned how you've seen some students that have been engaging more. Um, would you say that you've seen that reaction uh, with a lot of CU, or are there any other reactions you've seen thus far?
1: Sure. And I'll, I want to provide just some clarification. Um, Diversify CU now, let, let me back it up a little bit. Diversify CU now has grown. So we have more than 20. We have 76 organizers in our Slack as of today, or maybe 79, something like that. Um, But enough that have committed that they want to strive to be active anti-racist every day of their life. Um, And so within that group, we're quite active, uh, as I mentioned in our Slack. Every, every channel is an action and every conversation is about an action and something that we can do. Um, Beyond Slack, we have many, many that are involved uh, with projects that they're working on maybe on one project, but they're not necessarily a member of our our Slack account. Um, So part of Diversify CU Now and part of why it's formatted the way that it is is because I have a background in marketing. (laughs) And so um, we were able to get a website going in the social media accounts. And so, so I've had a few people that have said to me, Diversify kind of like packages things up Um, and makes them accessible for the the broader audience, which is a good thing and a bad thing because Diversify CU Now is composed of people of all colors and it's now students, staff um, and some faculty and we have two postdocs, which is very exciting. Um, uh, But from there, we've had some confusion from the media and other folks that any and all of the actions at the Boulder campus have come from Diversify and that's simply not the case. Uh, what has happened is because we have the platform between social media and the website, we have amplified other groups' um, actions and that has been interpreted as though they are diversified actions. And so we're working to find where is that balance where we can continue to amplify the voices, but also not misrepresent uh, and take, take attention away from them, their work and their groups. So we're, we are actively working on how to do that It also gets confusing because I am the lead organizer, but I'm also a BIPOC student. (laughs) So um, I understand that there can be some confusion, but hopefully we can continue to to clarify that. So the press conference that was hosted using uh, Representative Leslie Harrod's uh, platform and and marketing was um, actually made up of folks from um, several different groups. Um, So I'm gonna name those. Those are the Radical BIPOC WomenX slash Fems Collective also Black Student Alliance. We had Olivia Gardner, who's a recent alum, uh, who's in conjunction with Black Student Alliance. Then we also had the CU Abolition Group, and also United Campus Workers, which is the Colorado um, Union. And then I was also present as, uh, and I am with Diversify CU now. So we had folks from many different groups, um, but we did use the Facebook page and the Zoom account of Diversify CU now. And so we got, we did get some confusion from the media that we were all, all part of Diversify and that wasn't the case. Um, and then also for the CU Scholar Strike, again, the same thing where we had a webinar that was recorded, uh, thankfully by um, Cheryl Hikashita who recorded each of us that had been part of the press conference. And we got the opportunity to expand a bit more about what we talked about at that press conference. And then also listed a lot of other uh, ways and initiatives to for for people to get involved in as part of the CU Scholar Strike, which was uh, in conjunction with the National Scholar Strike, so um, now I've forgotten your question.
0: <laughs> no worries, no worries. I appreciate the clarification. I can attest to our listeners that I have made the i I have made the same mistake as um, the considering a diversified CU and the conflating them, the voices they represent. Um, but thank you for the clarification. Um, Holly. Uh, The question was just what kind of response have you seen from the wider CU community um, uh, as a response to some of these, um, some of these events that have occurred?
1: Yeah, okay, thank you for that. Um, Yeah, so we we are working on providing that clarification. And this group, uh, the the press conference and the webinar group does now have a name, and it is divest to invest collective, and that's with the number two. And hopefully soon we'll have a web a domain that is linked to a website. There is a website now that has each of the documents that are referenced um, in the press conference and in the webinar. Um, and also we're, we're also called out by the Black Lives Matter founders when they spoke to the CU Boulder campus a couple of weeks ago. Um, so hopefully those two will be linked up soon and then we'll have that divest to So to answer your question, um, the Press conference uh, on our face, the, the Facebook page for Diversify CU Now showed that there were over 40,000 engagements uh, from that press conference. So I do believe we had quite, quite an audience for that um, press conference that day. And then for the CU Scholar Strike, the YouTube video that was posted on Monday morning and the Scholar Strike ran, now I can't remember, I think it was Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, over the course of three days had over 1,000 views. Um, and our website, which hosted the video, had over 2,000 unique visitors in three days. And so I have taken that, and I have been saying uh, regularly that I feel like we have activated thousands of people, uh, not just on the Boulder campus, but uh, across the CU system and outside of the CU system in the communities where, where these universities or where these campuses are located. Um, so I feel very good about that. that. That is encouraging dialogue, and that's the the perfect place to start is for each of us to be having conversations in our classes and with our colleagues about these uh, various documents and demands that have been prepared by the Radical BIPOC Women Expense Collective and also Black Student Alliance and now Divest to Invest Collective. Um, These documents have been distributed widely and broadly and I think that they uh, definitely have had impact, uh, I'm gonna say at a department level, I don't think so much at a campus-wide level or at the administration level, although I know that there's conversation about them. I think there's the conversation probably ends at how would we ever institute this uh, at a campus-wide level, and for the anti-racist creed, perhaps at the CU-wide level. Um, but that being said, I know the conversation continues to happen. I know Regent Shoemaker. Uh, announced publicly in one of the regent board meetings that she thinks the anti-racist creed should be adopted across the CU system. And I think that the, the student body, uh, including diversify CU now will continue to encourage that that happened because it is a very smart um, smart document. <laughs> um, and then our social media accounts are quite active on especially our Instagram account. We have about 2000 followers. And the DMs stay pretty busy um, throughout the week, which is great. And we have a lot of people coming to us saying, I would like to get involved. I would like to do more. Um, I appreciate that there's a place for me to go. In particular, our non-BIPOC students, which, of course, we have mostly non-BIPOC students at CU. And so we we are providing a space for them to come and, and learn how to do this work. Uh, And I think that to me is one of the most exciting parts about Diversified CU Now.
0: And with that, um, and speaking of anti-racist action and the anti-racist creed, um, so in your personal experience um, and from your personal view, um, how do you think that students and our listeners can begin to get started on that path of um, becoming anti-racist and kind of like seeking out uh, these communities? Um, Is there any advice you would give them? Is there anything specific you would want them to do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I can share what my story is uh, and what I did because I'm fairly new to CU Boulder. I got to Boulder in August of 2019 and I'm also on East Campus in the SEEK building. So not on main campus and not really involved uh, in many ways with CU Boulder prior to June. Um, And so I had to figure out for myself, how do I get involved and what do I do? And so what has transpired in the program that I'm in, which is the environmental studies program, I feel very proud to tell that story. And I've I've been trying to share it with other departments because um, I think it's a good model. And that is that the students started engaging with one another in the program to say, what what day-to-day practices or policies in our program or our department, do we have any control over that we can change so that those are centered around anti-racism. So for example, our department or our program hosts a colloquium series every semester and we invite professors and scientists and researchers and professionals from the CU community and outside the CU community nationwide to come and speak at our colloquium. And so the colloquium committee immediately set a new policy or a new commitment that every semester they'll invite at least three BIPOC speakers to come and speak at our colloquium. It sounds really simple, <laughs> and when you start thinking about each each kind of process that happens in your department or program, you start to real you start to realize that really people have just gotten complacent and they started kind of citing authors that are the most well known or the easiest to find on the internet, um, et cetera, et cetera. And the same for our syllabi and our classrooms where we're we're having our students read authors that are most well known or most frequently. Cited without taking the time to really look and and update ourselves on who are the new researchers and specifically who are the new BIPOC researchers and I work in the environmental science world and so I'm very focused on um, Really diversifying the environmental science. um, Community because it is largely uh, white and largely white men, so the graduate students started engaging with one another. We actually wrote up an action item list for our faculty of a list of things that we think could be done in our program to center ourselves around anti-racism. And while we waited for the faculty to respond to us, we decided to get to work on the items that we could take care of ourselves. A lot of our graduate students are TAs, so they have their own syllabus or syllabi. And um, so we, we took the action item list, we broke it into categories and we formed five working groups We got to work and the working group started meeting weekly. We all work in the same Google Drive so we can see each other's notes and agendas. And then every two weeks, a point person from each working group comes together and we update each other on our progress. So in about eight to 10 weeks, um, faculty did get back to us about our action item list. But in the meantime, the graduate students had really come together as their own community and we were working together towards a common goal. And we found ourselves more engaged than we had been. previously, and also the graduate students were talking with their advisors um, about what they have been doing, what the work that we've been doing. and the faculty just kept hearing about all of this progress and all of this change. And before you know it, the faculty was saying, how do we get involved? <laughs> what can we do? And so now what, what has transpired is um, what it looks like for our program is we've opened up our Jedi committee, which is justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion to um, everyone in our program and we're the third largest program at CU Boulder so that's a large number of people uh, but we want to open up that anyone can do this work. not just the several faculty and maybe one or two graduate students that are assigned to the Jedi committee that meets you know three to four hours per semester, but actually this becomes part of our, our daily and weekly practice uh, in our in our um, in our job right in our position. And so we really have grown. And so the the short version to what you're asking is, I think choose where you work and go from there. So if you're a student, then get connected with the other students and say, what can we do? There's a lot that we can't because we're students, but there's a lot that we can. And then we're actually, by organizing at a student level, you're actually showing the faculty how to do this work at their level. And that can kind of translate into the faculty level. And if that is successful, the faculty level can translate up to, say, the directorate level. Uh, And then from there, you're at the administrative level. And in the meantime, Diversify and others are still working on talking to campus leaders and CU leaders to also have these kinds of conversations about what does it look like to make systems change. But hopefully by the time we've convinced them, we've already got each level on their way up to the top that's kind of already bought into this idea that there's something that each of us can do. And so we don't really need to wait for anybody to tell us that something's going to change, we can actually just start changing the things that we can change um, as at each level.
0: Uh, so what would you, so you say that um, they should get started kind of just at um, where they work? Um, do you feel like there's any like, do you feel like that? what would be a good first step to take to just getting that conversation started, to getting that ball rolling? Is there anything in specific that you think would uh, help or that um, kind of will get you started off on the right foot?
1: Sure, well, we were hopeful that the CU Scholar Strike would help with that because it would get different faculty and students talking about what is this CU Scholar Strike and we provided kind of a menu of items Um, The the collective provided a menu of items that we put on the Diversify website um, of different ways and different initiatives to encourage dialogue amongst one another um, and to also show in the classes and get get engaged in dialogue with students. Um, For me and for, for several others that I know, it started with a simple email to the grad student body saying, I think we should do something. I don't really want to sit and wait for faculty to to do something. I think we should do something. Uh, And that can happen on social media. That can happen by email. That can happen if you're your department or program, the graduate students, if they use Slack, there's many different ways that that conversation can start happening. And like in environmental studies, it started with, and now we've got people from all over uh, the CU system that are part of Diversify CU now. So I think I'm fairly new to CU Boulder. I didn't grow up around academia or the university life. Um, And I really didn't know that many people. But I started with a couple of emails. Um, One other thing that I did is I sent an email to every faculty member that I knew. And I said, here's a little bit about me. I feel like I can do something in this situation. Will you please forward this email to anyone that's higher up than you? I would like to have Zoom meetings with anyone that will chat with me. And I recognize not everyone is an extrovert and not everyone is a communicator. And so it doesn't come easily for people to send an email like that. But I do know that there have been some students that have emailed at least their faculty as a whole or a couple of faculty members that they trust or they have good communication with to say, "Uh, I'm very concerned that our program or department hasn't made any changes, um, any significant changes other than saying that we care. Uh, And I really think that we need to do more than that. I think that that's a great place to start.
0: And would you recommend uh, kind of a similar course of action for those who would want to educate themselves better on BIPOC issues, or it, would you recommend a different, different, path, different path of education um, for that kind of self-education?
1: You're saying, can you repeat that?
0: Yeah, sorry about that. Um, that- would you recommend a similar course of action for those who are looking to um, amplify BIPOC voices or, educate themselves on BIPOC issues? Uh, or is there anything you would recommend uh, for those who would like to kind of educate themselves more um, that they w- you'd want them to do differently uh, in the case of kind of just educating themselves?
1: Sure, yeah. Okay, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think we each have to do our own personal work around this because we're talking about racism. This is a very deep-seated issue in all of us. It's ingrained in all of us, it's been in- you know, it's been in the movies, it's been in the commercials, it's been in the billboards, it's been in the music. Uh, and so it is ingrained in us and it's going to take the rest of our lives to, to do away with it. And so it is a lot of work and it is hard. Um, and I understand that there are a lot of people that feel like they need to educate themselves before they start taking action so that they can learn what are the proper things to do. And I do not agree with that uh, approach at all. I think that we need both. I think that we have to do our own personal work and we need to take action at the same time. And I have witnessed now hundreds of times since this summer that those that are doing their personal work is that much more uh, meaningful. It's not just reading a book. It's actually coming to understand very deeply how their own personal behavior is impacting others who feel safe or not or others who are experiencing racism when they are not. Uh, and that's me included. I mean, I take full responsibility on a regular basis that I myself have perpetuated racism because I wasn't doing anything to try and change it. Uh, and so coming to coming to Boulder and coming to see you, Boulder, certainly has had an impact on me. Um, but hopefully I'm putting all of that energy to good use uh, here. And so that's what I'm experiencing, is the more that I do. The more that i'm growing on a personal level to say ah i understand i understand what's been happening and, and i'm very interested in re myself as to the history of the united states of america the history of the police department the history of the united states for the last 400 plus years and so i think i do think all of that work is very important but i think that is not something that you do at work with your with your colleagues, and I'm, I'm referencing specifically like book clubs and listening sessions. Um, I think those can be reserved for personal time, but I think at work, we need to be taking action uh, very diligently to change our policies and systems that have been in place for how many decades? Uh, and even though we know better, we haven't changed them. And so we really need to get to work to change those.
0: Do you mind just uh, restating um what you said about relearning the history of the United States and the police department, you uh, cut out for a moment. And I think we might've missed part of what
1: you said. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I was saying that the the more work that I do on a daily basis to strive to be an active anti-racist, the more I am motivated and interested to learn about the true history of the United States of America, to learn about the history of how the police department was ever formed and to learn what life is like as a black person in the United States for the last 400 plus years. Um, I think that there's quite a bit that, well, I know there's quite a bit that we were not taught when we were in school. And so we're really in a place where we do need to re-educate ourselves. But I also think that we can, those are things that we can do on our own time and it's our responsibility to do those on our own time. But in the place where we work, this is where we do, and this is where we can do something. Uh, and so, if we're, we need to be actively working to uh, change the policies and structures that have been in place for decades, uh, and we know better now, and so we need to, we need to change those.
0: Thank you for restating that for our listeners. Yeah. Um, so, with your uh, with the diversify CU's actions, uh, I mentioned earlier the statement from yourself and CEO Regent Linda Shoemaker that was made. Mm-hmm. Um, now with this statement, um, on your site, you have a counter that has showed how long it has been since you made that statement, and how long it has taken um, Chancellor uh, Distefano um, to respond to that statement. Um, so with this, I'm What would the ideal response to the statement look like or sound like uh, for you? And do you believe that you will get a response? Or do you believe you'll get a response like the one you are hopeful for?
1: Okay, got it. So yes, uh, the counter is counting how many days it's been since the statement went out, and I have not heard from the chancellor or any of the other folks that are addressed on the statement, which are several of the vice chancellors and the president and the CU communications director. Um, So I have not heard from any of them with the exception of one vice chancellor who emailed and said, maybe we could just talk. And I thought that was pretty great actually. Uh, And so we have had dialogue, we've had conversation, um, not about the statement, but more about what does racism look like in the university setting in 2020? So I'm interested to see what happens from there and what transpires next, but there has been no action following that. My ideal would be that the chancellor was the first person that I addressed on the statement. Would, he, he can send me an email, that's fine, but, but reach out to me to say, I see you have some concerns and that you've gone public with them. Let's talk about these. Uh, and let's let's talk about if there's a miscommunication, if there's a misunderstanding, or if in fact our process is flawed. And if it is, then we need to own that. We need to take responsibility and we need to make it right. And most importantly, those that have been named to be on the, um, it's now been renamed to the IDEA Council and also the Community Safety Task Force, that they're given the opportunity to consent to be on those different um, committees. Uh, because at this point, to the best of my knowledge, a lot of them did not consent, and they were simply named, nominated is what they're saying, nominated by their unit leaders. Um, and so that that's concerning to me because it feels like a, a rushed process to make the university look good without actual, um, what do you want to say, intent, <laughs> intention. Um, for care and concern of those that are impacted by racism on our campus. And that's for both of those task task forces. Um, I will add, the chancellor, I'm a full disclosure person, the chancellor did email me on Saturday, uh, two days ago. And that was uh, as a follow up to a different meeting that I had with some other campus leaders on another matter. And he was following up to see how the meeting went and to ask for my feedback. Um, on how that meeting went and any next steps that I feel would be necessary. And so I am grateful that he sent me an email, but I think somewhere in his mind that he feels like he has addressed my statement because he sent an email out to everyone on campus. And so maybe in his mind, he feels like he has already addressed my statement. Um, I also have have confirmed with Regent Shoemaker that she has not heard from him either. Um, And so I think for me, that still speaks to the disconnect between our campus leader, Chancellor Stefano, and a student who is raising a concern in a public way, and with merit to it. I'm not the only person that has this concern. I just was in conversation with Regent Shoemaker, and Regent Shoemaker offered, let's write a statement together, because she felt like if she co-wrote it with me, then it would get attention from our campus leaders. <laughs> And I can't say that it really has. So yeah, that's why I decided to to go ahead and put that counter on the the homepage. Um, And in my response to the chancellor, which I have not emailed him back yet, but when I do, my response will be to ask, uh, when are we gonna talk about this statement? Because now the IDEA Council and the Community Safety Task Force have had their first meetings. And so things are moving forward, um, still without any conversation or dialogue about if anyone consents to be there.
0: What would you hope for the future of those councils? Um, So you've mentioned how some of these members have not consented to be on the council. Um, What do you want to be changed before they continue? Is there anything aside from making sure the members are consenting to be a part of these councils? Is there anything else that you feel should be changed?
1: Yeah, I think, um, so I'll I'll speak about each one. So for the IDEA Council, it is made up of 25 people. Uh, The the idea is that each person represents a different unit, whether it be um, faculty or staff. And then that also includes two students, one from GPSG, the graduate student uh, elected government group or CUSG. Um, And so for those that were not involved in the process and did not say, yes, I am passionate about this council and I have been doing this work or I'm committed to doing this work or anything, any of the above. Um, it's concerning to me that folks were named. I know specifically COSG and GPSG, the group was named, but not the student. And then later, an email went out to say oh, who's going to be on this, on this um, committee. Uh, and then or specifically, the other one is Hillary Potter, who is—I hope I get her to- her title right—but I believe she's um, assistant vice chancellor for inclusive practices in the College of Arts and Sciences. And Hillary was named on the council without knowing, um, found herself named on a web page uh, the day after the rest of us had been notified, and that was very disconcerting to her. And she's she has been vocal about that. She has emailed the chancellor about it and she has given me permission to use her name to talk about it. Um, so I think getting back to your question is for the 25 members that have been named, including the chairs, I think um, a personal commitment to themselves, it doesn't have to be public, um, that either they've been doing this work and already they already strive to be active anti-racist in their daily life or that they are committed to doing this work going forward. I do think that the idea plan has a lot of merit to it, and I know that a lot of heart and soul went into creating it. It took years, and it took even, well, not even longer, but it still took a long time to get implemented and to have a start date, and so here we are. So I don't want to slow down the process, uh, but I do think that it matters who are the people that are actually going to be implementing that plan and making making the, the concepts and the strategies of that plan, become part of the cU um, daily practice, and without that, you have twenty five people who are showing up to just another committee meeting with a couple of people who talk every time and, and i don 't know how much if any action comes from it uh, and so that 's the ideal is that actually the idea plan gets implemented, but in a there 's no other way to say it, but like in a heart in a heart kind of way. <laughs> I think when we're talking about racism, uh, we're talking about something that's very deeply ingrained in us. And so when we're, when we're doing work to try and eradicate racism, especially where we work, we have to talk about feelings. Um, and we have been living in a culture in the United States where people just don't do that. And so there's some big changes that are coming our way that we need to be engaging in some real talk. And when you get into some of these more formal committees, there's just not the space created for that and so i'm i'm hopeful that that the chairs and several others that are on the council will work to create that space but if people weren't even given the opportunity to consent to be on the council then i think we could run into some challenges of folks that maybe don't even want to be there let alone is it a priority in their in their daily practice and for the community safety task force again there were people named That found out after the fact or were asked the next day after the after the email went out with the announcement to all of us on campus and so the principle there lies in and also the originally I haven't gone back to double check this but the initial email I'm pretty sure said the community safety task force would be chaired by the chief of CUPD it is not chaired by the chief of CUPD now it's chaired by um, a professor at the Denver campus which is curious to me (laughs) as well but um but it's the same scenario of people being named after the fact, which very much feels like we put together this new committee, gave it a name, and we're now we're going to make this announcement so that people can see that we're trying. Um, and I, I, I'm not saying that we're dealing with bad people who are our campus leaders. I'm saying they're disconnected. And that if they would just take the time to engage with the BIPOC community and hear what they have to say, uh, we could go about this as in a more kind of united and aligned uh, effort rather than this like miscommunication and, and it feels kind of like divisive divisiveness is what's happening rather than a coming together
0: so in light of these events and as we move into the fall semester um, does diversify see you or do any of the groups that you have been working with Are there any future plans for action to be taken or any other um, events such as um, the press conference that you have had uh, for BIPOC voices? Is there anything um, coming up or kind of that you have that you're planning for the rest of this semester?
1: There are a number of things being planned, but you'll have to stay tuned to find out (laughs) about them. Uh, most recently, I can tell you that there's a regent candidate debate happening a week from today on October 5th. I'm sorry if that if I just dated our interview, but um, Diversify CU Now is going to host a watch party. And we've hosted a watch party once before during a regent uh, joint committee meeting, and that proved to be very fruitful. Uh, the part that I really like about watch parties is it provides not only opportunity for people to get engaged with one another, but also to, to um, have some education about how does the CU hierarchy work? Um, A lot of people don't know what is a regent. um, And so in this case, we'll be talking about um, uh, Congressional District 6, which does not include the Boulder campus, but it very much matters because it's a a highly contested, um, um, I lost the word, campaign, for where there's the possibility just to flip from a Republican seat to a Democratic seat, which would also change uh, which party has the majority on the Regent board. And the Regent board has been uh, Republican dominated for over 40 years. So it's highly contested. There's quite a bit of people that are interested in seeing what happens from here and how would how would things change if Democrats had the majority on the Regent board. I personally um, am not interested in advocating for one or the other. I would like all of the regents to work to be active anti-racist and that's what I'm focused on but I do think that there's there's a great opportunity for education about what is a regent why do we need to know who the regents are and why do we need the regents to know that we're paying attention to what they're doing. So that's that's the most recent action that we'll be um, blasting out to our social media and email um, list very soon.
0: And then just one last question in light of uh, current events in specifically Boulder right now um, have the public health orders or the campus temporarily going remote um, has that affected your operations at all I know that you said you um, all had been working through slack but has this had any effect on uh, diversify see now or the groups that you work with
1: Well, I think we've definitely had to work to be creative, to find ways to engage with people um, that are not in person. And I think if we were in person, we would certainly welcome the opportunity to to engage, particularly with our BIPOC community members in person. Um, And so we're unable to do that. But I also think that the pandemic has provided opportunities for us to be more accessible than we used to be. Um, thanks to Zoom and Slack and and other uh, technological means, social media even, um, and so I think I think there's pros and cons to both in terms of our activism efforts. Um, but I I don't feel like it has slowed me down at all. I think if anything, we've just had to to get creative and think of new ways that we can still uh, engage with our BIPOC community members and also our non-BIPOC community members to um, to get them activated and um, yeah, so I, I, think, I think it's been just fine.
0: <laughs> that comes to the end of my questions, but is there anything you would like to say to our listeners as a last note, or is there anything that you'd want them to walk away thinking about?
1: Mm, good question. I spend a lot of time thinking about what does it mean to be an anti-racist? Um, and it's, it is actively trying to change the policies and procedures and systems that perpetuate racism. So I'm not focused on finding who are the who are the blatant racists and let's shame them. That I have zero interest in that to be perfectly honest. I want to find the policies, procedures and systems that perpetuate racism without us even trying. We just show up for work or for school and if we're not actively trying to change it, we're perpetuating racism because those those policies and procedures were written with an intention um, to keep those in power in power, and now we live in a different a different world, a different system, and especially us as students, we are not focused on how much power can we have. That's just not the it's just not the mindset anymore, in my opinion. And so, um, so we need to be working to actively change those. And what that looks like for you in your day to day life, I'm sure is different for me in my day to day life. I know I've heard in environmental studies that. Um, The graduate students do have a little bit more control over changing things like the colloquium committee and things like, and changing syllabus or syllabi for um, those that TA, where other programs, the graduate students are not involved in any of the faculty committees, and they really don't have any authority over any of these things. And so it's going to look a little bit different for each group, Um, but if you need help and you need suggestions, start on our website for diversifycunow.com. We are definitely working diligently to build um, a section of our website for each campus, but we're starting with the Boulder campus to list anti-racism initiatives that are happening in departments and programs across the Boulder campus. Those can give you ideas. They're also gonna be in a format that you can share. So you could share them with your classmates or colleagues or your faculty uh, in your program. And so just do what you can to keep that conversation going and try and keep it Consistent. If the faculty knows that the students are talking to each other and they want to see change in this area, then they're going to start doing something about it. They move at a slower pace than the students. um, But that's why in EMVS, the students just started doing what we could. And certainly there's always something that you can do, even if as a group, you decide, okay, well, we're going to focus on supporting. um, There's a new CU Boulder BIPOC student coalition that's just forming. And so how can our program of students amplify what the coalition is doing? That sort of thing. So there's always something that you can do. So try and find what those things are. And and if you need help or suggestions, reach out to Diversify. We've got lots and lots of organizers that would be more than happy to chat about different things that we've heard from other programs and departments or maybe come up with something new for your program.
0: Loyola Veras, thank you for sitting down to talk with us today.
1: Welcome, thanks, John.